Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome to the Ebonhawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, as well as all things Star Wars. Today we'll be discussing the Skywalker of the Skywalker Saga, Anakin Skywalker, Clone Wars Season 7, the premiere episode, and one and only Darth Revan's lightsaber. This is episode 15, and this is where the Clone Wars begins again. All right, so in episode 12, we discussed the hero's journey, and in this episode, we wanted to examine the Skywalker of George Lucas's Skywalker saga, the central character, Anakin Skywalker. Uh, and to do that, we brought on uh, Plo Koon, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name is Jackson. I run... Plo Koon's book club on Instagram and on Instagram I basically just do a bunch of reviews about Star Wars books, legends, and canon books. I also do a bunch of book quotes and I just you know love Star Wars and Anakin's my favorite character and I love going deep into literary genres and stuff so I'm really excited about this episode. Because I I noticed in a lot of your posts you incorporate a lot of Joseph Campbell's books like The Hero of the Thousand Face and Lucas incorporated that into his writing of Star Wars uh, so I thought it would be a good fit for discussing Anakin. We wanted to get more into the Mortis arc and kind of what Anakin means uh, kind of in like the Skywalker saga like George Lucas's version like one through six like what he did. What do you see in the Mortis arc. The Mortis arc can be, I think it's, can sometimes be tricky for fans because there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the Mortis trilogy. George Lucas is, if you know, he's known for one thing, it's for beating people over the head with themes and making it obvious. You know, one of the big criticisms of the prequels is that every character said exactly what they felt all the time there was no ambiguity or no you know i guess the story was always hammered home through the dialogue and i believe mortis is actually done the same way where obi-wan and anakin the son the father they all say you know various things throughout the show that i feel like get overlooked because everybody gets you know lost in the symbolism and stuff of the shows which is really cool and the symbolism is great but i believe the symbolism supports what's actually said by the characters and not the other way around i believe the main thing that we get from the mortis trilogy is we get a deeper understanding of the force and what the balance of the force means and most importantly i believe in lucas's eyes we get confirmation reconfirmation that Anakin is indeed the chosen. One of the things that I feel like is important to point out before going through, you know, Anakin as the chosen one, I think it's important to briefly touch on Anakin's role as a tragic hero. Now, the point of a tragic hero is 
they have similar characteristics to a regular hero, or they at least they can have you know characteristics as a regular hero. You know, courageous, brave, willing to do what's right. But kind of unlike a regular hero going on a regular hero's journey, the tragic hero has a fatal flaw, and that fatal flaw derails the tragic hero from his journey. So Anakin is definitely a tragic hero, and his journey through um, him being the chosen one is important in understanding his journey as a tragic hero. I think that's really, I don't know, for me, the, the tragic hero is a great way to like set up a, like a villain of a story because it, it allows more like the viewer to gain more depth over the individual that they're supposed to, uh, I guess, like antagonize against with the protagonist. And if it's done effectively, you've got like a, a villain that you understand and then a, a hero that you sympathize with. I couldn't agree with you more. It's interesting, I believe, with Anakin. The interesting part is how he is perceived because when we get all the information about Anakin, you know, through the prequels and through the Clone Wars, we already know where he's going. So I, I would be interested to, you know, almost live in an alternate reality where the prequels were done first and they weren't done to basically shoehorn into the original trilogy, but the but the prequels were done kind of on their own to show the fall of Anakin as a tragic hero. And then you know, the original trilogy was done knowing all the beats that would happen in the prequel trilogy. I think we could have got a little different story and at least a different reaction to fans because I believe the biggest problem with fans' reactions to the prequels is it wasn't really what they thought it would be. You know, a lot of people thought that Anakin, you know, Darth Vader would be somebody who was always a bad person or always had anger issues and stuff. And well, yes, it's true that Anakin did have anger issues. The main reason he fell to the dark side was not because of anger and hate and jealousy. It's, you know, because he loved, but he didn't know how to control that love in the right way. And I believe that that leads into his fatal flaw. One of the things that people get from the prequel trilogy that I and Clone Wars that I believe is wrong is I believe they see Anakin's attachment as being a flaw when really attachments, you know, aren't flaws at all. Like it's not a problem to be attached to your significant other, to your parents, to your family. The Jedi's view of attachment was a problem with the Jedi, not a problem with Anakin. Anakin's flaw was his fear that stemmed from his attachment. That fear led him to want to control. In episode one, we see, you know, the first conversation he has with the Jedi Council is all about how he's afraid. And his fear is, you know, everybody senses his fear. But that's the main reason why they were scared to train him to begin with. Attachments is like a symptom to the actual problem, kind of like how we perceive a runny nose is to a cold, where you might go to the drugstore and you pick up a like medication for treating um, nose congestion, but what you should be doing is looking at ways to attack the actual the virus itself. 
and the Jedi had would attack the issue of fear and pride by attacking the symptom of attachment. Yeah, that's so true. One of the things that I, you know, you really get when you can, when you actually, I know, I know it's not canon anymore, but when you actually read the novelization, especially for the, the Revenge of the Sith novel, Palpatine preys on that, that fear of losing his attachment, that, that fear by saying you can, you can give into, you can give into fear to, you know, doing it to seek power so that he can control like you can give into that and you can save who you want to save, which in this case is Padme. It's really interesting that we see throughout, especially, you know, right off the bat in episode one, we see, you know, how Anakin wants to control things. He wants to control like his, you know, how he likes to build stuff because he likes to control things. Like he built C-3PO because he, you know, likes having that control. And he's always, you know, in episode two, after, you know, the episode where his mother died, he talked about you know he talks to Padme about you know life is so much simpler when I'm fixing because he wants to be in control and what snaps when he attacks the um, Tusken Raiders is is because he loses control like he can't save his mother because that's something that's out of his control that happens to him and he doesn't know how to react to it and that's what causes him to attack the Tusken Raiders and that's eventually what leads to his downfall that we see later on yeah, because later when Mace Windu is taking down the Emperor, Anakin is seeing that as, well, the Emperor is his way into saving Padme, and it's out of his control of Mace Windu's actions to bring the, the Emperor to justice instead of bringing him in for tr trials and letting that fate decide. Mace Windu was going to go ahead and execute, which Anakin had to step in and and uh, stop to attempt to maintain control over his desired outcome of Padme. Exactly. He was afraid, you know, when he's on, it's really interesting how the new canon material kind of recontextualizes his fear and his desire for control. There's this great opening prologue in Lords of the Sith novel where Vader Anakin talks about how it's his destiny on the dark side. The reason why he kind of stays there is because he realizes that, you know, the dark side is all about control and order. I want to read this quote real quick from Lords of the Sith, where he kind of turned Yoda's words on him. It says, Yoda once once had told him that fear had led to hate and hate to suffering. Yoda had been wrong. Fear was a tool used by the strong to cow the weak. Hate was the font of true suffering. Suffering was not the result of the rule of the strong over the weak. Order was. But by its very existence, the Force mandated the rule of the strong over the weak. Force mandated order. Jedi had never seen that, and so they misunderstood the Force and had been destroyed. That quote to me tells me that the reason why he embraces the dark side is because he, his biggest fear of losing control, the dark side says, you know, it's okay to embrace that. It's okay to, you know, give into the flaw because it's accepting of that flaw and you can give into it and that leads to terrible things. Leading back to Mortis, Mortis kind of shows us this flaw in the way the three episodes were done. Major themes of the episodes were the first episode, that the major theme of the first episode is Anakin's guilt. His guilt about what he did to the Tusken Raiders is what holds him back. He doesn't view himself as worthy hero because of 
what he's done in the past, he can't get through that. When he, you know, first sees the father, like he goes, I don't know, whatever that top of the mountain, like I guess the father's temple, he goes there. And then, you know, like he wants to go back down to down with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. But the father says, you know, you can't travel now at nighttime. So he has to spend the night there. And there he has this dream where he's where he thinks he's talking to his mother in that dream who he thinks is his mother you know asking him what he's scared of he talks about he talks about his guilt he talks about you know the vengeance that he felt after he died and how he snapped and can't really get past that one moment and through the episode from that moment on the father's telling him that he has to release his guilt in order to show that he's the chosen one in order to save Ahsoka and um, Obi-Wan during that trial where the father tests basically tests to see if he's the chosen one. Through that, the father he, he says, you know, only by releasing your guilt will you be able to save them. And he is able to save them. But the problem is Anakin can't, he releases the guilt then, but he doesn't you know, release the guilt permanently. And that's kind of what holds him back. And as we see, and, you know, Revenge of the Sith, after he kills, you know, Count Dooku, he feels guilty about it. And then the first thing Palpatine does is help him, like, reminds him that, you know, hey, this isn't the first time you do it. You um, did something like this. I know that you killed, you know, the Sand People. And it's like, that's, that same guilt is what's dragging him down. And he can't become the, cho like, he can't fulfill his role as the Chosen One until he does actually release that guilt. Yeah, it really just helps the Emperor's sealing kind of that his grasp on Anakin is to just further lower him deeper into that pit of guilt, which causes that huge span of time where Vader just can't get away from the Emperor at that point. Definitely. And, you know, his other fatal flaw is him feeling like losing control. And in episode, in the third episode of the um, Mortis arc, we get it, we get that great scene where the sun shows Anakin, you know, what he will become, that he will become Darth Vader, all these terrible things. And Anakin is paralyzed by the fear of what he's going to become. And he wants to do anything in his power to keep that from happening. And the sun, I'm manipulating Anakin, says, you know, the only way you can keep that from happening is by joining me on the dark side. And together we will destroy the Sith and, you know, this emperor that, that, that you see. And it's like, his desire to control, like he thinks that of what he saw is a determined outcome and he's willing to do whatever's in his power. He's willing to do whatever, even if it's the wrong thing. You know, he, Anakin's definitely somebody who believes that end, the ends justify the means, which is never the case. And that's something that Star Wars repeatedly hammers home, that it matters how you fight, not, you know, what you fight. You know, Anakin sees the vision of himself and he's, crippled by that and he wants to control to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen by joining the son father has to erase his memory i think it's really interesting that we see those two his two biggest flaws exposed you know throughout the mortis arc and in both episode the first episode of the mortis trilogy and the third episode of the mortis trilogy in the end anakin shown as the chosen one but he's not shown as the chosen one until he releases his, you know, releases his guilt. And then when he releases 
his desire to control things. So at the end of the third episode of the Mortis arc, the father erases his, his memory. And then in the end, Anakin kills the son, which brings balance to Mortis again. Episode six of, you know, Return of the Jedi, Anakin, you know, Darth Vader only comes back to the light side because he releases his guilt about what he, about who, who he was as a person. You know, he releases all the guilty feelings that he had, and he also releases um, his control and his fear over his own life by sacrificing it for his son. And that's yeah. him conquering those things in Mortis uh, foreshadows him conquering those things in Return of the Jedi, you know, bringing balance to the universe like he did at Mortis. One thing I, I think I've noticed is, like, the original sin of Star Wars is probably Anakin's separation from Shimmy. Because Anakin, as a kid, he was doing very well, even though he was a slave. Shimmy wasn't able to be freed as well. So it was either him or his mom. It couldn't be both. And then you kind of see, like, Anakin, he needed, like, he was a attached to his mother and then he kind of attaches to the first kind of maternal older girl than him which is Padme and it's kind of like it's a romantic love but he kind of attaches in the wrong way and it's kind of more of an an obsessive love and the Jedi kind of they kind of just shelter and kind of repress any emotion they don't allow people to find a balance it's more just like deny deny all these feelings you have don't confront them just avoid them and that's how you, you'll avoid the dark side and that kind of you kind of know like Anakin he's not really gonna learn to grow up probably as Obi-Wan's student like in the proper way if if Qui-Gon would have been his master it probably would have turned out better and he would learn how to control himself uh to find that control and to find more of a balance so he he can bring a, when you bring a balance to yourself you're able to bring a balance to your world and i think he would have been able to help the galaxy in a much better way one thing i noticed is when he kills dooku in revenge of the sith at the beginning he he says this is not the jedi way and then he's going through all these things and seeing that the council is kind of using him and doing some shady stuff. As viewers, we kind of take it for granted what the Jedi are doing because we know Palpatine's the Sith Lord, but no one else knew that, so it's kind of creepy what they're doing. And then when when Anakin goes to confront Windu, he says we need to end him, we need to kill him, he's too dangerous to be left alive, like literally the same words that Palpatine said. And then he kind of realizes, like, I'm going to go with the dark side because apparently there's no differences at the end. The Jedi who kind of hold themselves on this pedestal, at the end of the day, they will kill an unarmed opponent. So I'm going to go with the side that will let me have what I want. And it ends up being his downfall. And then when he, he's kind of given that choice again to save Luke, he makes the right decision. But I did like what you said about Anakin's 
having to deal with his training in that upbringing. Kind of what we were talking about earlier, where the Jedi would deal with the symptoms and not necessarily teach about the, the true problem. Where I think Obi-Wan is a great example of a Jedi that doesn't it doesn't really have an issue faltering one way or the other. He pretty well does everything by the book where Qui-Gon was a little bit different. Like Qui-Gon kind of had his way of dealing with things that didn't go his way. And I think that he would have been a, a much better teacher to Anakin in dealing with those kind of situations to kind of release those feelings of kind of like not being in control and that frustration that comes with it. And may have come up with a, like a different and better outcome for Anakin as kind of his up training went on through the Jedi. Definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of things that, that um, you said that were great. But yeah, you're definitely right about the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan thing. Because I believe Obi-Wan was... I love Obi-Wans. I don't want to slander Obi-Wan too much. One of the things is that he follows the letter of the law. And at least early on in his life, I believe by the, you know, by the time we see him in A New Hope, and I believe when we see him in Revenge of the Sith as well, he's, he's well on his way of learning this, that the letter of the law and the spirit of the law are two separate things. Qui-Gon understood that and understood that, you know, maybe breaking, you know, or bending some of the rules and the letter of the Jedi's law, so to speak, you are fulfilling the spirit of the law, which is, you know, following the force, and doing what is right and helping people. Whereas if you're bound by the the actual letter of the law, you're, you let opportunities slip. Like Qui-Gon wouldn't have let Shmi be stuck as a slave on Tatooine if, if he would have lived. But the Jedi, you know, were bound by their rules. So they weren't able to go and actually help the people of the galaxy that needed the help. That yeah. kind of transitions back to what you said about Anakin being separated from Shmi as being the original sin, and I couldn't agree with you more. I believe one of these millions of you know commentary tracks that um, Lucas did for the, I believe it was episode one, where he talks about how the point of we see Anakin as a pure child who cares about others and is willing to you know sacrifice for everybody else and he's full of love, and how. His journey is about getting him from that pure boy that he was back to that same state. And that's basically what his journey is. You know, as he gets, as he goes throughout the prequels, he starts to bend away from who that pure innocent boy was, who was full of compassion. And obviously as Darth Vader, he's nowhere near that. But at the end of his life, he comes back around to where he was in the beginning. He's, you know, by doing that, he's, you know, in a way, he's rectifying that original sin and following the example of his mother, because Shmi didn't step in front of lightning for Anakin, but she also allowed her only son, the person she loved most in the world, to leave her and pursue a better life. She kind of saved her son in a way, and then Vader saved his son. Right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely couldn't agree with you more, and I believe that the original sin, people interpret that the wrong way. People don't pay attention to episode one like they should. What do you think it means? We see the rise of Anakin, and then we see him fall, crash, and literally burn. What do you think it means in Star Wars we see Vader's redemption equals his death, and we see Kylo Ren turn into Ben Solo, and then he dies too. And many other characters who are redeemed, they end up dying 
Do you think in Star Wars, your redemption equals your death? I don't think it should equal your death. I believe Kylo and and Anakin, or Ben and Anakin, they get compared to each other a lot because of they have very, I guess, surface level. Things are very similar with them. Kylo being obsessed with Ann- with Darth Vader and stuff like that. But I believe there are two separate archetypes. I believe that their journeys to redemption are very different, even if they kind of appear to be similar and they have, you know, similar endings. I, you know, I don't think redemption should equal death. I don't, you don't get redemption through death. I don't think Kylo should have died, but that's a that but that's a separate subject. And you know, I hope one day we see a good canon story where um, there is redemption and they get to live on past that redemption. Let us pray for a good adaptation of Knights of the Old Republic, then, and we can see Bastila and Revan redeemed and not die as they go into the sunset together maybe even a binary sunset kylo kylo's problem is his need for acceptance he felt that he like his need for acceptance from wherever and he felt that he wasn't getting that he wasn't getting that acceptance from luke luke was fearful of him so he felt that the darkness was who accepted him and what he truly was and that's why that's why he fell and his return back is realizing that no, my father would still accept me, though I did terrible things, and my mother still accepts me, and Ray still accepts me. You know that scene in in the Last Jedi, I believe, is so powerful, where Ray goes to the dark side cave and comes back, and like I've never felt, you know, so alone. And you're not alone. You know that's the difference with Vader. Vader didn't need acceptance. <laughs> Like, Anakin didn't need acceptance. Kylo Ren's more of a Byronic hero. And Anakin's definitely a tragic hero. And one of the problems with Kylo Ren is that we also don't know much about his backstory. Yeah. Three great comics. They are great. Reviews for them on Plotin's Book Club. We don't, <laughs> but we don't, but we don't really know enough about it. Because it's like, we couldn't really peg Darth Vader as a tragic hero if you just saw the original trilogy. Because you don't know what really led to his fall, what the motivations were. You just... You just would have known what Obi-Wan said, Yoda says. That's not basically what we know about Kylo Ren. So it's just a little harder, but I believe. I think we should definitely learn more about these characters on screen. Because, I mean, comics and books are fun, but I don't think, like, your story should hinge on whether the fan picks up a certain book or a comic book. It just would have been cool to see some of these comic books with like Kylo Ren adapted into the movie. I wanted to say really quick on Mortis and I think you guys can tell me you know your your opinions after I say this. One of the other things that I get out of Mortis is it kind of shows I believe it shows overtly what the balance of the force means and I think that's something that's debated a lot on Star Wars Twitter and stuff like that unnecessarily where Mortis gives you the perfect balance of the Force where you have day, and on Mortis, when it's day, all the plants grow. There's a bunch of, there's not wildlife, cause there's, but like, you know, there's flowers, there's trees, you know, there's sunshine. And then at night, all the plants die, the sun is gone, it's completely dark, and everything 
is dead, but then when the morning comes around, everything comes back to life. And that's kind of, you know, in Star Wars terms, I believe the balance is that natural order of things where you have life and then you have death and then you have which regenerates new life, kind of what, as what Luke says in The Last Jedi to Rey, you know, talking about the lesson on the, on the stone where he's talking about, do you feel the balance? Do you feel life, death, decay? That, that whole thing. And then, you know, the Jedi to find true balance isn't, you know, people say, you know, like gray Jedi and stuff like that. And that's not, that can be a thing, but that's not what I believe Lucas is trying to say by balance. Yeah. I would say Lucas, um, he definitely wants, and definitely Campbell as well, is you need to be able to acknowledge like the light and dark in you and find a balance and not just kind of like go too far to one side. But the end goal is to be a good person and, and helps the world around them. And I, I like the Mortis arc because it kind of illustrates what... Campbell kind of says like in the hero of a thousand faces and the power of myth where it's all of these stories are true but not necessarily literal and whether or not like the events happened in the mortis arc or if they remember them that doesn't really matter it's like you learn more about Anakin Obi-Wan and Ahsoka the force and like what the balance means and like what that means for Anakin as the chosen one. And it, it kind of just illustrates it in, in a simple way. You can complicate it, but I think if you show like the Mortis arc to a kid, they'd be able to just kind of be like, yeah, that's, that's what happens, you know? So it's, oh. it's definitely one of the most uh, intriguing additions to the Star Wars canon in my mind. I feel like the the Grey Jedi concept is kind of like a shell scrape of the concept because in the in the Mortis in in that arc in the Clone Wars, it's it's kind of alluded to like too much dark leads to just nothing but destruction, but then too much life can lead to growth choking in on itself. And so like if you if you look at like the concept of growing a like a tree for example to grow a tree properly you have to you have to clip that away of the less productive pieces of the tree to allow the more productive pieces to continue to grow and flourish and if you if you don't maintain on that then the whole tree will suffer and die it's trying to bring life to pieces that Yeah and the tree needs advantage. opposition like wind like to grow or else like the branches just grow too big and they fall down, which is something they figured out in the biodome. I agree with what you're saying there definitely in terms of Star Wars and stuff like that. And one thing I would say is that I believe the whole point of the original six movies and this arc kind of reinforces that you can't change the natural order of things. Like there will always be life, there will always be death. And you need to accept those changes. Like you need to accept the changing of the season Kind of like how it changes every day at Mortis, but you can do the right things within that natural order and not trying to mess with that and being a good person through all of that. So it is, that's kind of how I interpreted the balance of the Force to mean there. The we need two Jedi for two Sith, two Sith is not balance of the Force. 
you know, not necessarily just Jedi means balance of the force, but the Jedi doing the right thing, that's balance of the force. If you don't think the Mortis trilogy is about Anakin being the chosen one, I would like to say that throughout the six episodes, Anakin is asked if he's the chosen one six times by various people. Like throughout the show, he's asked by Qui-Gon, son, the daughter, father and then he's also told seven times by those characters that he is the chosen it's a good number yeah george and dave just beating us over the head with that just something to keep in mind next time you watch those episodes it adds a great layer Moving on to uh, our next topic, we're just recently we've seen the season, the new season of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And at this time, we've had both episodes one and two kind of pass through. So what do you think so far? It's great to have The Clone Wars back. With Rise of Skywalker, I kind of had to psych myself up to be excited. Uh, But with Clone Wars, uh, it, it just was great to have it back. Like, and it's like, I, I wasn't pretending like I was just like so happy just to boot it up and have like the the intro music come up and then kind of that familiar kind of serial of explaining what's happening and, and then get the moral. It, it was just great to have it back. I got a good kick out of the the voice actor who does those introductions. I was kind of happy to see that they've kept a lot of the same people with, with those voices. So, Jackson, uh, what was your favorite part of uh, episode one, The Bad Batch? I was not one of those people who went and saw the animatics, because by the time I knew the animatics existed, I knew that the Clone Wars was coming back, so I was like, I'll just wait to watch the real thing. I'm not a huge, like, fan of... Okay, I do like the clones, but they're not, like, why I watch the show. I'm big into, like, Jedi, Sith, stuff like that, but, you know, I do love Rex. But I was really, the Bad Batch really, I really liked them. I thought they were, I thought they were a neat addition to the Clone Wars, the show. And I really liked that they're Squad 99, because 99 is the greatest clone of all time. Yeah. And I really liked that, I really liked the Ninja Turtles when I was growing up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I think the, you know, the Bad Batch are basically, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You got, you know, Lee. Hunter as Leonardo. You have Wreckers, Michelangelo. Crosshair. He's like, he's like Raphael. He's really kind of standoffish and like, I'm just here to get the job done. And then you have Tech as Donatello. I really enjoyed them. And then seeing them interact with the rig is a ton of fun. So the moral for this one was embrace others for their differences, for that makes you whole. And it it was kind of just interesting to see like, there's so many clones and sometimes I don't know if like they made these clones kind of more special or if it was kind of just a mistake but it was just kind of interesting to see like they can exist in the canon of Star Wars but they're kind of the closest I would say that Star Wars will get to 
superhero outside of like the Sith and Jedi. So it, it was just kind of an interesting layer. And it, it kind of adds more of uh, the clone into the Clone Wars because it's kind of like Rex's and the clone's swan song this season because it, it's going to end. So that was an interesting light. The underlying tone that I got watching these were these clones were kind of the, the defective pieces from the different batches of clones being released. Um, you had w one that was super strong, but not very smart. You had one that was very smart, but maybe not so much tactically. You had one that was a really great sharpshooter, but wasn't a very good team player. So maybe like the most of the Jingle Feta group. And then you had one that was just kind of like maybe just like an offshoot of what they needed from the clones but he was just just off to pass inspection and that's kind of how i saw them and like i thought they were a neat group uh, i i just think my overall impressions of the episode or the uh, the season so far rather has kind of got me wondering why we have this season as opposed to kind of like what my expectations were for coming back to this season yeah, I was gonna say I think think it's gonna get more into Ahsoka and Maul, but yeah, I I do get what you're saying. You know, if you're definitely here for seeing that storyline, I believe we'll get plenty of those. I yeah. you know because I'm big into you know I'm big into like the Jedi and stuff like that. And, you know, those episode two really delivered some strong emotional moments for me that I was definitely satisfied with. That even if I'm not you know super into the clones, especially because we're so close to Order 66 that you're kind of, like, scared They're to get gonna super close to They're going to kill all the Jedi. Like, you know, is Rexer going to be, you know, is he going to, was he the one in the plane who shot down Plo Koon? Like, oh, I don't know, and that scares me. Yeah, it, it's hard to get attached to the clones kind of knowing that, like, what's going to happen. It kind of increases the tragedy as well, I would say. I did like the second episode more than the first episode, mainly because the Bad Batch did kind of take a back seat to Cody and to Rex and, and just the regular 501st squad. See, the thing that I wanted to go into this season to k get that closure and wrap up of the Clone Wars TV show and how they've started it is almost like they're running with the the success of Clone Wars, but not necessarily do the service of closing it up properly. And so that's my biggest concern with Clone Wars Season 7 is if there's no plan to do a season eight, what are we doing with the time that we're given with these episodes? Yeah, I yeah. think like the the Bad Batch, it's it's four episodes. And then after that, we get the rest of it pretty much just follows Ahsoka's kind of walkabout after she leaves the Jedi up to Order 66. So I think this is just meant to be like kind of a love letter to the clones uh, and just like their swan song. Hopefully it ends properly and not with too many tears, I would say. One thing, one thing to remember though is that Clone Wars is very much like, it's just the absolute craziest Star Wars where you get like super high fantasy stuff like the Yoda arc and it's like the episode right before the Yoda arc is Mace Windu and Jar Jar doing like a slapstick buddy cop, you know, routine yeah. basically for two episodes. So it's like you get these like super emotional best canon ever moments. And then you also get like crazy goofy Star Wars. 
so it's yeah. like yeah. it really you know and you never like you never know when you're gonna get like these super emotional moments either like they just kind of like come out of nowhere it seems like like this last episode with you know Anakin and Padme you're like you know, you're just watching it and then you're like oh wow this is you know this is intense stuff here and then you know two minutes later we're back to you know Wrecker is you know eating a chicken wing and bench pressing not bench pressing <laughs> shoulder pressing a um gonk droid so it's just yeah. you know crazy Star Wars and that's that's what I love about it but it's it's kind of like when you're not binging it you just gotta like be a little more patient and that's something that yeah. I have to remind myself every you know going into yeah. these shows I definitely enjoyed uh, a distant echo so Anakin and Padme they have that hologram scene and they're they're having a good talk it's like, like the most positive that you see the relationship which kind of makes like the turn in Revenge of the Sith it'll cut deeper I mean Padme's even wearing the outfit that uh she'll die in when Anakin force chokes her on Mustafar and she's saying like you need to back up your friend Rex because he backs up you and then it was just interesting to see that Obi-Wan is kind of kind of aware but also like he's not gonna like say how aware he is because then he would have to report Anakin to like the Jedi code office I just love that scene it it just made me feel all the feelings I mean I I did like that they showed Obi-Wan kind of knowing about Anakin's relationship with Padme I mean it's not something that Obi-Wan is really a stranger to uh he had his own relationship Satine Satine Qui-Gon Jinn had a relationship with Tal it's like a it's like a flaw that all Jedi have but it's it's something that they they put on like another mask to hide for the sake of following the rules and so I think one thing that Obi-Wan didn't quite know that Anakin had children with Padme until she was obviously showing signs of pregnancy like I think he was just okay with the idea that Anakin had somebody to have a connection with. Jackson what were your favorite parts of A Distant Echo? My favorite part of A Distant Echo was definitely the Anakin and Padme definitely because it showed kind of how I said earlier that attachments aren't the problem and I think you know, Anakin's, you know, Padme kind of points out that Anakin's attachment to Rex showing how it's a good thing and showing him that, you know, Anakin's definitely one who sees flaws, like he sees his own flaws in other people way, you know, way more than he sees it in himself, you know, when he's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, reckless and stuff like that. And then, you know, Padme's like, well, like, who did he learn it from? And it's really, it's really interesting to me because Rex is, it's really interesting, Rex and Cody, because Rex is kind of Anakin's surrogate. Like, he has a lot of Anakin's personality and traits, and whereas Cody is the clone that's basically, like, a clone of Obi-Wan, where he, you know, follows, is very much by the book and stuff like that. And just seeing Anakin point out those, you know, character flaws or those, you know, particular traits in Rex is always interesting, the same way he, you know, when he points it out in Ahsoka interesting because they also share very similar character flaws i thought that was really interesting and obviously all the obi-wan stuff was great it was a great episode for me when it comes to the clone wars 
I I really like just any of those moments that teach you more about the overall, like the uh, the overall picture, the large picture of Star Wars, and so just that just that scene of Anakin Padme, just that whole piece there, I you know I I did I also thought was very powerful, and and I'd say that between both episodes, both new episodes, that's that's still kind of the better part because we're seeing something that isn't kind of what was mentioned earlier. It's not part of the, this Clone Wars slapstick. It's more about the deeper picture of Star Wars. For a distant echo, is, the moral is the search for truth begins with belief. Uh, and Padme's kind of like telling Anakin, you need to believe in Rex. And Rex is very certain that Echo is still alive. And then you kind of see like Anakin backing up Rex, his arc commander for the 501st. And then you see Rex was right at the end. And it's just going to be interesting to see how the Bad Batch uh, arc ends. I I didn't end up watching the Bad Batch animatics because kind of like you, Jackson, like when I figured out the clock, Wars was coming back I'm like oh then I, I'm not gonna watch these animatics because then it'll be adapted but it'll be interesting to see where it leads before we we get back to Ahsoka definitely that's why we're all here go we received an announcement for a new black series saber it's the darth revan lightsaber so we finally get to see this canonized as an actual product the darth revan force specs elite lightsaber was announced on yakfaceforums.com and when i saw it i was like huh revan has been canonized in the rise of skywalker visual dictionary and and now they are creating a, a toy, a replica of his lightsaber. So I was very interested because it, it seems like Disney is taking these steps to bring more recognition to this beloved, like, expanded universe legends character. It looks like it's going to come with a removable blade, uh, a kyber crystal, and two color modes red and purple and one fun fact that someone mentioned to me when i posted this on instagram it comes from at lord underscore udald is that since revan is an expanded universe character his lightsaber doesn't have a kyber crystal kyber crystals as such only exist in mouse canon and many kinds of materials could be used as focusing crystals for lightsaber in the expanded universe so I, maybe this is like our, our first step to getting a disney kind of mouse revan you know which i don't really have a problem with kyber crystals honestly i mean before you just went to like a cave on one of the the sacred sites and you picked up a crystal from inside there and that's kind of how you powered your lightsaber but it's nice to 
have, you know, because maybe it is a specific crystal that they had to find at these sacred sites. And if it's the Kyber crystal, then so be it. You know, I, I, I never really had a problem with it either. It was just, it did seem a little weird when it came from Rogue One, just because I think my first viewing of Rogue One was a bit shaky. And so it probably would have been nicer to come somewhere else. But now that now that's kind of done and gone, like it's it's not really a bother. Revan's uh, kyber crystal is purple, and when you're in Knights of the Old Republic, there are three different kinds of Jedi uh, classes in in the game, and they are Jedi consulars, and their crystals for their lightsaber are green. And they focus more on the powers of the Force, kind of honing and learning more about the mysteries that the Force can teach them. And then you have the Jedi Guardians, who focus kind of more on combat and fighting and warfare. And their crystals are blue. And then you have the Jedi Sentinels, who kind of like are a balance. And they kind of focus more on technical skills, kind of being one with the galaxy. See, and they have the the yellow crystal. But what I like about Revan is a purple lightsaber. You kind of don't know if he was a consular guardian or a sentinel. He's kind of a mix of all the classes. Like he's very powerful with the force. He is a great duelist. And he was skilled enough to create HK-47. So you kind of don't know which class he was, so it kind of keeps the mystery alive. And his purple saber, it kind of shows like he's a mix of like blue and red, which is like kind of like light and dark side. So he he kind of like sometimes doesn't belong like on the Jedi camp or the Sith camp. But if you if you play Knights of the Old Republic two you can see Revan dual wielding in Force Flashback. And he has a, a red lightsaber and a purple lightsaber. And you see him wielding it in the Knights of the Old Republic comics. And one thing I, I kind of like is that his purple lightsaber, it's kind of like on the opposite side of the color spectrum, you have Bastila. So it's kind of like his forced bond mate is... It's kind of like they're opposites, but they're similar. Uh, so it's kind of like, I guess you could say like a yin-yang. With the purple lightsaber, like if you follow old canon, so Legends canon, Mace Windu obtains his purple crystal through kind of settling a like a planetary dispute. And it was awarded to him as like a gift, as a thanks. And we don't really have background on how Revan got his purple crystal, but if they're following the same... Canon, this the purple crystal was very specific to this location, so it's incredibly rare, and you can only get it in one place, and so he would have had to either win it or loot it from this planet. Um, if we're looking at Legends canon, but I think with a new canon, a purple lightsaber could be explained by a partially bled lightsaber where it started as blue and it's transitioning to red so it looks like this hilt is the purple hilt and you first we see this hilt for the first time in 
Star Wars, The Old Republic MMO that came out, Bioware released it. He only had one blade and it was red in Knights of the Old Republic. So the purple blade, it kind of looks uncomfortable to hold. But what is interesting about the purple blade is like, it kind of looks like it has a mini star forge on. So that's kind of a funny detail. It's certainly distinctive. I don't know if like, if I had to like choose a lightsaber to fight with in a duel, it's, I'd be like, give me literally anything else other than that maybe, because it just looks like it would be kind of hard to hold okay. and like fight with. His red hilt you see in Knights of the Old Republic, it has a definitely more ergonomic design. It's very smooth. At that point in time, he's like, this is a relic from my Jedi past, this purple lightsaber. I don't want it anymore. And that's when you know, like, it would be interesting to see, like, what would be some of the next steps that Disney would take with Revan. Because it kind of seems like he was just Legends. And now he was canonized in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. And then out of nowhere, they're kind of like taking this lightsaber design and releasing it like officially. So it just makes me curious to see what next steps Disney is going to be taking. And this hilt's been around for a while too. Like, I don't think Saber Forge had it, but Ultra Sabers had this hilt for a while. And so this is just kind of the force effects kind of bringing in their own spin on it. But so that's, that's how I've been able to kind of handle this lightsaber in the past is the ultra sabers interpretation of this hilt and yeah you can't you really can't comfortably flourish this thing but It'd yeah if you're if you're doing like the basic lightsaber combat forms like form one that being really technical but forms one through three you could get away with handling this lightsaber just fine but if you try to get like fancy with this lightsaber you lose it pretty quick i definitely think revan was probably more of a form six or form seven practitioner but it'll just be interesting to see if Revan is ever in a movie or a Disney plus show to see if they if they use the hilt mm-hmm. so it'll be available I think later this year so it'll be interesting to see the final product so um, before we wrap up, Jackson, do you want to talk to us about where we can find you just through the other medias? You can find me at Plo Koon's Book Club on Instagram. So that's um, one word, Plo Koon's Book Club, um, like the greatest Jedi Master of all time, Plo Koon. There, that's basically just, I use it as almost like a mini blog about Star Wars books. So I'm always happy to talk to anybody who wants to about books or book recommendations, comic books, movies, video games, anything Star Wars related. So yeah, you can you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. And this has been Cassia. And this has been Coden. And you can find us on twitch.tv forward slash Bond for various um, game streaming. You can also email us comments or questions at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram is Ebon Hawk Podcast, and our Ebon Hawk Podcast can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we are always grateful for subscriptions and reviews. In our intro and outro themes, were composed by Alistair Shorman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. 
Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. And this has been episode 15 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Thank you.